Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Uh, for today's podcast, we're kindly joined once more by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for, for being on the podcast this morning. Hi, Jonathan. Good to be back. Hope you had a good Easter. Yes, likewise. Likewise. Hope you had a good break. Yeah. So we're, we're two days uh, into the trading week now. And um, some interesting performance metrics to to have a quick look at here. And, and I think to start things off with, Alan, I've just been looking at the FTSE 250 uh, this morning. And, we, and we've been discussing in, in recent weeks uh, this trade-off between growth and, and value. And I think to some extent you could argue that a lot of uh, value shares, particularly the travel shares that we touched on last week, have fallen into the into the 250, yeah. um, you know, shares like TUI, uh, EasyJet, um, Carnival, uh, one, you could uh, make a very strong argument for that being a, a value share uh, and looking for some recovery at this point in time. Um, with the uh, FTSE 250 trading just above that 22,000 level, that would actually be an all-time high if it closes above there uh, today. So it got me thinking um, about the composition of the, the FTSE 250, the, the FTSE 100, and, and how investors treat these these two markets, mm. and and sort of looking um, deeper into flows of of UK equity funds, and um, particularly those flows um, of of retail clients and where retail clients are putting their cash. Um, recent data from the Investment Association found in February a further £1 billion was withdrawn uh, net outflows from UK equity funds uh, by retail investors. And that uh, makes the sum uh, withdrawn and, and outflows from UK equity funds by retail investors um, 18 billion since 2016. Of course, that that does coincide with uh, with, with Brexit. However, you, you obviously got to look at the, the the situation behind the these flows, and of course, that there's a, a negative sentiment to some extent around Brexit and, and what that could mean um, for UK equities. But looking. At the, the overall picture of UK equities, of course, a, a lot of UK funds will be focusing on, on FTSE 100 companies, where 75% of the revenue of FTSE 100 companies is actually derived from outside of, of the UK. This is a point that was made by Tim Davis, mm. who is the, the, the head of primary markets at the London Stock Exchange at a recent UK Investor Magazine conference. So, I mean, Alan, do, do you think that there is... An overwhelming negative sentiment around UK equities among retail investors, or, or do you think there's um, a little bit of misunderstanding about the exposure um, of the companies that make up the, the major indices in, here in London? I think it's a bit of both, Jonathan, um, but certainly um, the FTSE 100 for years uh, has been largely represented by um, the giant resource and uh, 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 energy companies, and obviously you've got um, you've got within that you've got Rio Tinto, you've got um, 
Billiton, Royal Dutch Shell, um, BP, and others. And of course, these are these are global giants that have exposure to um, assets in every corner of the gro- of the globe. Um, and of course, the um, uh, the the, the FTSE hundred probably more than ever now um, does truly represent a global picture because a lot of the companies, all the former constituents such as Marks and Spencers, EasyJet, and Carnival, and others, um, have now been relegated to FTSE two fifty status. Um, but of course, as we recover from the pandemic and uh, travel picks up again, and um, the leisure industry starts to recover, um, and possibly as well the retail the retail sector starts to recover, then we're going to see some of these companies um, topping the leaderboards. Uh, across the FTSE 250, dry, driving that to a new high before, of course, um, possibly making that transition back into the FTSE 100. Um, so so there are a lot of dynamics at play here that don't necessarily represent uh, probably, should I say, a normal picture if there is such a thing nowadays, a normal picture of where the FTSE 250 would normally be uh, uh, positioned um, were we trading within a, a normal environment. But of course, it contains companies like uh, Tate and Lyle, um, uh, Balfour Beatty, um, and uh, and and you know other companies, property companies like uh, Shaftesbury. Uh, the Royal Mail are in there too. So there's um, the FTSE 250 probably is a better representation of the British economy as a whole um, than any other any other indices. Um, so. You know, if you wanted to reinvest in recovery GB, then um, you know possibly a fund um, invested just into that two fifty two fifty bracket might be might be one to consider. Yes, I mean, I mean looking at the the constituents of the FTSE two fifty currently, um, I mean the, the largest company there at the moment is, is indeed Carnival. It's got a market cap of nineteen billion, which will put it well um, back in the uh, in the FTSE one hundred within the the next reshuffle but when we're looking elsewhere within the the FTSE 250 we, we obviously mentioned and you just mentioned there it's a it's a truer representation to the the underlying UK economy is this something you feel could increase further in terms of sentiment and then indeed the, the performance of the 250 relative to the FTSE 100 as we we move through, through this process of um, Brexit, of course, we, you know we've, we've gone through a lot of it, but there's still uh, a lot of uncertainties there about the reopening and, and what the real economy is going to look like when that happens. Do you think there's still a, a lot of uh, reallocations to be made towards UK equities and those focused on the domestic market, or do you think largely people have positioned themselves for this occurrence already? Uh, yeah, a lot of people are positioned, and also don't forget there are a lot of investors that were investing into UK PLC prior to COVID didn't pull their money out, so they're just within those stocks anyway. So they will see their their stocks uh, uh, make return. But of course, let's not forget we've got some forecasts from the IMF um, forecasting the strongest global growth since the nineteen seventies this year. Um, and I think the UK in particular is very well placed to benefit on that as it's now no longer encumbered by the EU and um, and, and all that entails. So um, we've still got a steady bond market playing out as well. Um, so I think there is still an appetite for stocks. And I think investors looking for bargains 
will probably opt uh, and invest into UK PLC. So um, that in itself could continue to drive the FTSE 250 to new highs. Indeed. I mean, the, the stats that I outlined at the beginning there, um, 18 billion withdrawn from UK equities since 2016 has coincided with a 20 billion uh, addition to global funds by UK retail investors. Yeah. So indeed, if, if there is a shift back towards UK equities by retail investment uh, investors, that would provide uh, a significant um, upside uh, potential for for uk equities there um, and I, think, from- I think also the uk leisure center is worth mentioning too jonathan because uh you know all of the restrictions on covid i was talking to uh, a friend who's stuck in spain he's trying to get back to the uk at the moment earlier this morning and um there the it's a really tough process to go through uh, to get your test registered get your get your two and eight day covid test sorted once you're back here in the UK. And I think a lot of people will look at the look at the implications of travelling abroad this summer and they'll write it off and they'll staycation here in the UK. So of course that's going to bring a tremendous boost to the UK economy. Um, whereas last year people were spending money on home improvements and uh, uh, boosting the fortunes of uh, companies like Kingfisher. Uh, this year it could very well be the, the UK leisure industry that gets a real boost from staycationing. Indeed, indeed. And I think that's something that the government is positioning for. Um, You'd have to be rather cynical with some of the um, announcements that they've made recently. Um, You know, are they really um, positioning themselves and the the economy to make people um, stay here in the UK, spend their money here in the UK and obviously get uh, that money in circulation here as opposed to spending it in Spain and Greece and Turkey and wherever else? Yeah. So that's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Although I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of the listeners here are, are keen to get uh, abroad when they when they can. So I, mean, just, <laughs> yes, yeah. I am too. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I, I mean, ju- just as a, a last note on this, I mean, the, the top three constituents of the uh, FTSE 250 at the moment are, are actually travel shares in Carnival, Wizz Air. And, uh, and TUI travel. So, I mean, in the next reshuffle, if things stay as they are, they'd be set to be going into the, uh, the FTSE 100. So let's see how that plays out. It's going to be interesting to see how uh, these economic um, changes actually uh, play out and, and whether we do see that shift towards international travel in 2021 or it's pushed back to 2022, because that will have de- indeed have uh, some implications for, for underlying markets. So, Alan, let's let's now move on to the three equities that we're going to discuss uh, today. First of all, let's look at uh, Ananda Developments. This is a company that has moved, did move into the um, the cannabis space uh, about two or three years ago. Now, as uh, that started, that I mean, that sector really started to to. To, to grow here in, in the UK and globally with, with changes in legislation. So what's the, the latest been from them? So I, I spoke about these uh, these uh, um, at the weekend, actually, and uh, and um, just been following their progress since. And the shares have uh, really started to to push ahead this week. But, um, of course, cannabis is, that, uh, is, is this new, one of the new potential burgeoning industries subject to UK legislation, of course, subject to the ability to sell and market these products. But um, so Ananda Developments um, 
are really a strategic investor into um, into a number of uh, products and offerings within the market. But their core investment is um, is a uh, a, 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 a a cannabis, uh, a medicinal cannabis uh, plantation in Lincolnshire, uh, which they're developing um, as a joint venture with a company called Jetco Marketing. And Jetco Marketing um, are known through their work with GW Pharmaceuticals, a uh, long-standing um, sector sector constituent. Um, and uh, they are working to attain a license to cultivate cannabis in, in the UK, uh, obviously for medicinal purposes. Um They've been, uh, um, and have been around for a number of years. Um, I, I've certainly been aware of them. Of course, the company's run by Melissa Sturgis, who's the CEO. She's well known um, as, a, a, as an entrepreneur and uh, investor and director of a number of companies, uh, a number of mining companies to um, Aquarius Platinum and Sylvania Platinum. Uh, her involvement there is, is, is well documented. Um, but uh, the cannabis space is particularly interesting because um, there is a big surge, as we know, of, um, uh, well, firstly, um, uh, cannabis products being imported into the UK. Um, it was recorded that uh, over 37,000 cannabis-based products were imported into the UK between March and September last year. Uh, and that's up, um, that's up from uh, just under 4,000 imported in the previous 16 months. So you can see there, there's a real surge of interest. Um, also, the number of patients in the UK using uh, medicinal cannabis are growing at some 20% a month at the moment. And of course, as we know, CBD products are used to treat pain, um, anxiety, depression, and other neurological disorders. So um, it's increasingly important. It has recognition I think across the across the uh, medical community that uh, it is a, a hugely important product. So um, the, um, the 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 uh, the uh, the plantation at uh, Lincolnshire with DJT Plants um, has progressed. Where the Home Office have advised um, that uh, the uh, the application to grow cannabis is all in order, um, but of course it's been held up by COVID. The uh, the uh, Home Office advisors have been unable to visit the site, um, but we now expect that will uh, uh, take place. And on the back of that, um, the company raised three hundred thousand um, uh, uh, early this year to from two investors to fund the first phase of the uh, of uh, of put, um, uh, basically building the plantation and getting it ready for Home Office approval. Um, so there are. Uh, I should explain that Ananda are a very tightly held uh, company. There are now 584 million shares in issue um, and 120 million shares were issued to these two investors to invest 300,000. Um, the facility there, it'll be a 2,000 square metre uh, greenhouse um, and what, what's referred to as a modular breeding facility. That's, uh, that's a key terminology within the cannabis industry. And of course, uh, with that comes the security for the site and also the the, the monitoring to go with it. So we, we are due to hear news on progress and of course the uh, the green light from the Home Office to, to start that process rolling uh, very soon. Um, so the company, Ananda, also has investments into two other companies. Um, it owns uh, just under 1% of a company called ICANN, which is short for Israel Cannabis. 
Um, and this is a medicinal cannabis uh, incubator and also a company that organizes conference for cannabis uh, um, for, for cannabis companies and uh, uh, people within the industry. Um, and again, of course, COVID, uh, COVID knocked a lot of their operation into touch, but they've launched an online conferencing, which is continuing. And of course, they will ramp up activity once uh, once the uh, once the, uh, the lockdown is lifted. Um, and then finally, they, finally, they have a um, 15% stake and a board seat with a company called Liberty Herbal Technologies. And LHT have a product called HAPAC, H-A-P-A-C, which is a, a it's a dry herb vaporizing product. Um, uh, and I was at a presentation a few years ago um, at Peterhouse uh, Capital when this was uh, demonstrated by the by the team and, uh, and Melissa was there talking through the the product. Um, so it, it's a bit like a, it's a bit like a small blue vaping device where you insert what appears to be a mini tea bag into it, and that um, that is then burnt and you can then vape the product. Um, very effective, very clean, um, and this has been developed. They're now looking to launch the offering uh, in the US. So really to summarize, um, there's, uh, the, the company is on the verge of, um, of accelerating growth of the, um, of the DJT plants um, uh, uh, facility in Lincolnshire and um, progressing this. We are going to get news on this very soon. Um, shares in the company, as I say, very, very tightly held. Uh, the company currently has a market cap of eight and a half million, you know, which is nothing given the size of the market and, of course, the potential for global sales into um, into jurisdictions where, of course, they can sell the products to. And um, it looks set for a very exciting year from here on in. I mean, Alan, when we look at these cannabis companies, I mean, there's been just in the last few months a number of new issues onto the market in, in yes. cannabo and, and, and cellular goods. Uh, and then again, looking here at uh, Ananda. I mean, some of these companies have been oper- in operations now for a good number of years, but revenue is still pretty negligible uh, across these these companies. And, you know, we, we run UK Investor Magazine, ran the Cannabis Investor Forum, so we've got a good knowledge of, of this market. And yeah. there seems to be a, a lot of players within the, the, the cannabis space. Is it a concern when you're looking at companies like this that have been in operation for some time within the cannabis space that they still, after two or three years, have a relatively low level or, or, or in some circumstances, no uh, revenue coming into the business? Of course, it's a concern. But I think that those those uh, the reasons for that um, are, can almost all be pointed at um, legisl- legislative issues within the different uh, jurisdictions where the cannabis can be bought and sold. Um, there is compelling and overwhelming uh, medical evidence uh, supporting the use of uh, CBD and cannabis uh, cannabis oil and cannabis-based products for medicinal purposes, um, and um, a- and I think many more people probably than are uh, listed um, officially are using these products. Um, so I-, I believe the tide of opinion will change, and I-, I think the UK, given it's now free from the shackles of Europe, it will start to um, uh, uh, accelerate and. Uh, ease the process for companies launching products here in the UK and markets where they can sell into. Um, and correspondingly, there will be an increase. I should say also that there are many other private companies within the sector. Um, and of course, for 
uh, these companies are generating revenue as well. So there are opportunities for some of the listed vehicles, such as Ananda, which has these different strategic interests to get involved and uh, and obviously accelerate the growth uh, through um, through uh, 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 a placing to raise money to make an acquisition as such. I'm not saying that's on the cards at the moment because um, it isn't, but uh, that's how I would see um, companies, listed companies in this field, developing and building as they go forward. Indeed, and it's certainly an evolving uh, area. There's various different bits of legislation coming out. Um, I mean, one of the most recent ones for CBD is obviously the novel foods uh, uh, guidance that, that was given on that. So that's obviously had an impact on the on the industry. And if uh, Sadiq Khan is anything to go by in his very uh, recent statement on commissioning a, uh, a research project into uh, recreational cannabis, it shows that, uh, I mean, Europe and, and the UK is very much um, moving in the direction of North America, albeit at a, at a far slower pace. So yes. certainly an interesting sector to uh, to watch. I'm sure one that we'll be discussing again, given uh, the number of new listings that we've seen in London in the cannabis space in uh, in recent months. So, Alan, let's now just touch on a company that we've, we've discussed in some detail um, recently, uh, Mosman uh, Oil & Gas. What's the, the latest update from them? Okay, so Mosman have had a uh, have had a, an interesting year to date. Um, just to just to uh, uh, explain the position, the the company um, have uh, or generate cash flow from a number of uh, oil producing assets in in Texas in the Texas area, um, and they have a number of key projects there. They have recently developed. Uh, the Falcon One well, um, they have the Cinnabar asset, um, the Galaxy asset, and then the Stanley and Greater Stanley assets in the region too. Um, they had an asset called Welsh, uh, which was sold. Um, it was sold uh, 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 last year and and raised raised a uh, some five uh, five hundred thousand dollars. And of course, these are uh, what happens is they uh, that uh, Mosman are the investor and. Um, Earn from the asset, and of course there is an, an asset operator too, which Mosman works with. So there are different uh, percentages of uh, ownership um, uh, 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 according to the asset. Um, so that's on the production front. Um, the company also has an interest in the Amadeus Basin in uh, in Australia, um, and uh, the Amadeus Basin is uh, it's. Uh, it's uh, it, it's it's a huge area which is in the Northern Territories, um, and uh, um, they the the company have a number of licenses and are developing uh, one particular license there um, to, uh, to 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 basically extract helium from the ground. Helium, of course, is um, a gas that is is increasingly in use in uh, across a range of industries, uh, uh, including medical. Nuclear and space technologies, um, and the demand for helium is uh, significantly exceeds current production. So the the net result from that is that there has been a huge uh, increase in the price of, um, of of helium. And Australia is recognised as a leading producer of helium. And uh, at the start of March, uh, the company Mosman um, raised uh, one half million. 
you know, placing at 15p. Um, and uh, that placing um, uh, was very much separate from its operations in Texas, where it, um, it, it is going to fund the EP145 project. Um, they already have some drilling data, um, which, uh, which um, uh, indicate commercial production of hydrocarbons from that area um, and significant amounts of helium uh, at what uh, what they refer to as the McGee one well so um, so that's uh, that's uh, we're looking for um, development on that uh, in the coming months um, the uh, referring returning to the, the cash flow of the group of course um, the uh, the group have been relying very heavily on uh, on 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 the uh, production from its oil assets, um, solid production uh, uh, um, uh, and, and uh, over over 2021 up till recently when there was a problem with the Falcon One well which was hitting water. Um, and yesterday the company announced what well, announced uh, several developments. Firstly, um, uh, the uh, Falcon production was down obviously because of uh, encountering water but um, the operator has said that they're going to basically drill at a higher level um, which is going to cost the company some $20,000 and that will be funded for out of existing cash uh, from from that zone so so the company are confident that uh, uh, production will restart and then of course uh, we can uh, we'll, we'll see we'll see an increase in uh, cash return back into the into the company coffers um, certainly uh, the the broker um, SB Angel were very bullish about um, the prospects for Mosman oil and gas going forward indicating um, that it saw a 700 percent uplift this year um, on its uh, on its performance in 2020 um, estimating some 2.6 million dollars um, uh, in the bank at the end of the year versus the 231,000 in the bank at the end of this year. Um, and it believes that the Amadeus project, the um, the helium project, could treble the, the market cap um, um, and uh, de-risking that asset could uh, add a further $172 million to the existing market cap, which um, makes pretty interesting reading, seeing as the market capitalization is currently just $5.5 million. So Mosman is bumping on the bottom. Um, if we look at where it's traded on the year, the shares are have traded as high as 0.28p and currently uh, just off the bottom now at uh, at um, at uh, 0.15p. But actually, they're performing pretty steady. 0.15p just seemed to be a flaw for the company. So um, the the other the other uh, news from the announcement yesterday is that Mosman acquired a, an additional twenty percent interest in a lease, uh, an existing oil producing lease covering thirty six acres, which forms part of the Greater Stanley project, which is adjacent to the Stanley project. And um, uh, um, Mosman has uh, minor interest in both of these areas, so it's going to acquire this additional asset, which will um, probably take up any slack from the fall off in production from, from Falcon 1. So still a very exciting end prospect. The company has plenty of cash at the bank um, following the, the, the fundraising. Um, and obviously uh, the cash or the the cash intake each month from the oil production uh, covers costs and gives the company uh, cash to invest into other wells and developing other assets or making acquisitions as it uh, as it announced yesterday. Indeed, I, mean, I think looking at this company, 
uh, the, the wide range of com- um, projects that it's working on currently, uh, albeit, as you said, there, the share price is bumping along the bottom, does provide uh, potential for, for an uplift there. So it's so one we've been discussing, and I'm sure one that we will uh, we'll touch on again, given the number of projects there and the news flow that we're seeing from the company at the moment. So certainly uh, a, an interesting prospect there with, uh, with Mosman. So moving on now. Uh, Alan, to a company which drew me um, to take uh, a closer look at their their projects that they're working on, due to primarily, and this is this is a personal uh, interest here, their exposure to to copper. Um, I think anything with exposure to copper at the moment is uh, is particularly interesting, given um, the need for for copper in uh, electric cars and uh, renewable energy uh, uses. So I think this is going to be a metal that's very much in in focus over the next decade. Uh, But the particular company here that we're looking at is uh, Kavango Resources. Alan, could you just give us a little bit more detail about them? Yes, certainly. Uh, Kavango Resources currently got a market cap of just nine and a half million. Um, Shares are traded as low as 0.5p, as high as 3.9p, currently trading at 2.8p, so so uh, uh, so, so about two-thirds uh, higher than the low from the year, but um, but with good reason. I mean, the company has um, a series of assets, um, and whilst copper, of course, is the focus, that's not the biggest asset the company has. Nonetheless, I'm going to start with copper because um, it's uh, this is uh, an asset which... Um, is is of extreme interest the the uh, working in the um, on the Ganzi Ridge in Botswana in Africa um, the company has uh, a joint venture course with Power Metal Resources um, so and Kenya Resources is that company uh, which uh, certainly uh, both companies have indicated could be spun off separately going forward giving the interest in copper um, and this is a, a, a series of um, a series of uh, Airborne surveys have been undertaken um, uh, so far this year, um, following soil sampling um, uh, in the in the South Ganzi uh, Ridge, which is which is um, historically has uh, has uh, a lot of uh, copper um, copper finds and, uh, and and some production. Um, the, so in February, some uh, um, Aeromag surveys were undertaken on the. On the uh, uh, Kalahari Copper Belt project, or the Kalahari Copper area on the South Ganzi Ridge, with uh, Power Metal Resources. Um, in addition to this, uh, there is an interest um, in in Western Botswana um, with LVR Geo Explorers, and there are two licenses there. Um, and indeed, um, uh, an Aeromag survey was undertaken with that team there. So there are. Um, there's there's solid progress on this, um, and uh, at the end of the end of March, the company announced that uh, it had purchased 100% of eight additional prospecting licenses, four in the uh, in the Ganzi Ridge. That's uh, of course the uh, the huge area entails the Kalahari Copper Belt, and also um, four on the Namibia border, um, which uh, which are also highly prospective for for copper and nickel. Um, and that's uh, we're going to get uh, obviously progress um, and news on that as drill targets are identified and the company uh, moves forward with those. Uh, secondly, we have the Ditao Camp project, and this is sited in southern Botswana. 
Um, and again, the Ditau Camp project is uh, is uh, worked with um, with uh, uh, Power Metal Resources as a as a joint venture. Um, uh, was drilled many years ago, but actually by a company called Falconbridge Mining. Um, and some of the uh, carbonatites that were identified there um, were evidence uh, back then of magnetites containing uh, rare earth metals. Um, and indeed, um, uh, Michael Foster, the CEO, back in September said, um, given the work that uh, they'd undertaken on the project, there was mounting evidence that the Ditto Camp project is at the centre of a previously unrecognised alkaline magne- magmatic complex, which basically indicates the presence of uh, rare earth metals. So exciting progress there. Um, the primary uh, asset for um, Kavango Resources, however, is the Kalahari Suture Zone, uh, the KSZ. And this is a, a vast territory. It um, consists of 12 prospecting licenses uh, over 8,300 square kilometres. Uh, and these, these licenses are prospective for copper, nickel, and, of course, platinum group metals. Now, of course, with modern mining techniques, um, you can undertake these Aramag surveys, uh, go down a soil sample and sample the region, and then you get to get a picture together of what you're looking at. And, of course, that's then constructed in the, in the form of a, a 3D model. And if you go to the Kavango Resources website, you can see this model in detail. It's quite fascinating. But what is... What is of particular interest is that as the team have been working on this asset, they've noticed that there are a lot of geological anomalies and similarities um, in, uh, that uh, compared to uh, the Norilsk mine in Siberia. Now, the Norilsk mine is vast. It, co- it produces 90% of Russia's nickel and 55% of Russia's copper. Uh, and on the global scale, it's 10% of the world's uh, cobalt um, and uh, 20% of the world's nickel. So, I mean, that gives you some idea of the scale of the project. Um, and as they've gone forward, they are seeing many similarities in terms of the geology, the anomalies. Uh, obviously, they've identified a series of uh, 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 drill targets, um, uh, um, having identified trap zones where they believe the heavy metal sulfides will um, accumulate and, and come together. And so, of course, uh, the, the stages are now um, drilling. Uh, uh, drilling will be undertaken this year to uh, to further test that and then obviously formulate the, the plan of action from that. In terms of funding, um, uh, the company raised two million in November last year, which was uh, which was oversubscribed. Um, and there have been a number of warrant exercises uh, since uh, the start of 2021 which have resulted in some 470,000 uh, raised in warrants since then. So the company are well-funded going forward uh, for all the activities. Um, and one sense is we're on the verge of some very exciting news. Certainly, we know what's happening with Kanye, uh, the uh, the uh, joint venture, the copper joint venture with Power Metal. That's coming to market. But um, but uh, I, I sense that uh, the KSZ or the Kalahari Suture Zone, uh, once this comes to fruition, could potentially dwarf any other project uh, in that region, uh, possibly in Africa. So, Alan, of course, I mean, this type of company is not for the, the faint-hearted, of course. It's a potentially a very exciting project uh, that, that it's working on, but, of course, there's a lot more work to, to be done. I mean, just as... Uh... 
a, a rough guide. I mean, where would you say percentage wise um, that they are along the process of um, the development and initial research um, into the, the prospects? Is this something they're just starting or are they getting towards uh, a stage where they can make uh, an initial uh assessment of whether what they have there is commercially viable well that they are in uh, certainly with the ksz kalahari citizen and the copper belt of course with the copper belt they formed the joint venture company um they've and they the aramag service will have identified drill targets um the same situation exists at the kalahari citizen uh, where aramag service have been undertaken and uh in fact, um, back in November last year, the, current, the, the company identified four Nerilst-style targets uh, within the um, within the KSZ region. So, um, so these are uh, th- these targets have been identified. The next steps are to undertake drilling. The company is funded to undertake these drilling campaigns. So, the drilling campaigns are undertaken. Um, a, a, probably initial rotary blast drilling, which is uh, which is uh, drilling near to the surface. Uh, to identify um, where to go down deeper, and then diamond drilling takes you deeper. You can get in the su- and then get the samples out from the areas where you believe the uh, the the, ass- the the major assets lie, um, and then that goes back to the uh, back to the laboratory um, and is tested. Um, and you know certainly that's that that's held up a lot of progress for mining companies because of course. Getting the sample to the laboratory and uh, amidst COVID has been a challenge. Um, but uh, but as we come out of COVID, that process will accelerate. So we will see news on this fairly early on. And of course, let's not forget the board are champion at the bit to get this done and to get this over the line. Uh, we have Mike Moles, the uh, the 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 the, the, uh, the board member and founder. Um, you know, he's long history working in the in the business with the uh, Men and Delta Gold. And then, of course, Michael Foster, been at the helm for years. He's formerly worked for De Beers, uh, uh, Zincox, uh, Reunion Mining. So um, these guys know the steps you need to take. And um, we're now coming up to uh, what is very much a tipping point, I think, for investors. Although, given the market cap is still just worth $9.5 million, um, all of the risk, I think, is skewed very much to the upside. So, you know, uh, you know th- there are... We're going to see a series of steps that I, I fully expect we'll see the shares progress on from here in, in, in the coming months. Indeed. So three very interesting companies that we've discussed. There's so just a recap of uh, of those, Alan. So just then was uh, Kavango Resources that trades under the ticker of KAV. Uh, Ananda Developments trades under the ticker of ANA. And Mosman Oil and Gas with a ticker of MSMN. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thanks again, Jonathan. So just as a a bit of a heads up to everybody listening, we have the next instalment of the UK Investor Magazine virtual conferences, uh, which is coming up on the 20th of of April. Um, So we have an investment trust presenting in the form of the India um, Capital Growth Fund, uh, there's also Emerson PLC 
who presented uh, at the end of last year. I believe there's been some recent developments there. And there is property company Nova Financial, which is going to be outlining uh, their playbook for the UK property market going forward after the pandemic. So um, do check out the notes of this podcast for a link through to that event, as well as uh, finding uh, the event page on our website. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.